Hey everyone, this is Mark. Thanks for downloading the show. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode. Marcos and I recorded it live in Cuba with our friends Dan and Jeff from Virtue in the Wasteland. This week's episode we recorded a couple weeks after we returned, sitting at Marcos's house on his back porch, and we just kind of had had a chance to return and we're unpacking the trip a little bit more. We'd love for you to take a minute to review our show on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get the podcast. We'd love for you to take a look at our Instagram Check in on our Facebook page, see what we've been posting there. We've got a lot of pictures. Some of our pictures from the Cuba trip are up. And uh, it really does help us out if you leave those reviews on on iTunes. We have some exciting stuff coming up for you. Uh, In two weeks, we're going to release our episode that we recorded last summer with Morelli McLeod. Um, She came to the U.S. and the Marielle Boatlift. So we're really excited to release that. That was a lot of fun to record. And coming up this summer, we have dates to record in Key West. We are very excited for that as well. So we've got some really fun stuff coming up and we hope you are enjoying what we're working on. We would love to hear from you. You can leave us a note, a comment, or you can even email us from our website. Be sure to check that out. It's at exiledlector.com. For now, enjoy the show. As the torciadores, a.k.a. the cigar rollers, quietly rolled their cigars, and the despaliadoras, a.k.a. the strippers, stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves, they were entertained, informed, inspired, and enlightened by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South, we hope you'll enjoy it. After returning home, I'd been home five or six days, and I didn't even put pictures up from the trip. Uh, I didn't post anything online about having gone to Cuba until after we got back. And um, I, I showed up at my daughter's soccer game and, and another, a friend of ours, his daughter, is, is or his kids are on, on the same soccer team. And so we're standing, we kind of always, you know, end up talking to each other as we watch our kids play the, the game. And he, this was after I returned, all went well, safely home. And he it was almost like he then took the opportunity to warn me about what a bad idea it was to have gone to Cuba and um, just the reality from his perspective of being in a totalitarian country. And, you know, his concern was largely for the safety of Racky, your daughter who who came with us. um, Just, he was saying, well, you know, you and Marcos are grown men and, you know, if something happens to you guys, you'll probably be okay. But, you know, to have taken a, you know, a 19 year old girl, that's, he felt like that was just the height of foolishness Mm. and we're safely home at this point. And he was drawing a lot of parallels to what's going on currently in Venezuela and just the horrors that are going on there. He actually forwarded me an article I've been reading just about malnutrition. We talked a lot about how governments use hunger as a tool or totalitarian governments can use hunger as a tool to, so you know, do the population. Yeah. But uh, it, it was really striking to me because leading up to the trip, 
um, from everybody who knew I was going, there was a sense of like, really? Like, why? Are you sure? Like, you know, just this sense of it, that's a bad idea. And then I, you know, I expected that going. That's largely why I didn't really talk about it to very many people ahead of time. But then returning, I was really surprised by the number of people that have now taken their opportunity to tell me why that they wouldn't have gone or why that was a bad idea. And, and I'm not Cuban, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm an American. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm interested in hearing that, that it happened to you. Yeah. Cause I get it for sure. But I think a lot of people just, you know, aware of my station in life, I've got three little kids and an incredible wife and to have left them for a long weekend. We left on a Friday morning and got back on a Monday afternoon, but everyone just very concerned for what if, you know, the worst could happen at any point there could be an, you know, another, another revolution is almost the, the sense that, that I was met with in these conversations. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was, um, so my, my thinking on that is, is I, I understand that, that fear of, of, you know, or that kind of anger towards me for taking my, my 19 year old daughter. However, um, there was what people don't understand. I think people have this idea that if somebody goes to Cuba, they're going to go to a resort and, and go in there as tourists. And, and, um, you know, my dad, I, 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 I made a reference to this when we inter- when when Jeff and Dan and, I, and us we were talking on in Cuba that there's this idea that we that you're being fed something that isn't true. You're going if you're a tourist, you're going there and and you're being fed a lie. And you and uh up and I don't know if they're still doing this but up until recently when after after before Obama made that announcement in 2014 was it yeah i believe towards the end of 2014 they uh the, they were doing people to people tours in cuba where americans could travel to cuba for the first time if they were going with an educational institution or or some kind of uh arts uh you know a museum or some or, or whatever going over there to to do the people to people contact but what it was was in reality was we're, we okay we'll have these americans come over here and we will do the cuba the revolution tour and what they would do is they would they had an they had a an itinerary already scheduled for them and they would take them to the palace the presidential palace which is now the museum of the revolution and they would give them this completely uh, one-sided story of the revolution and how great it was and and all and all that they accomplished and then they would take them to specific schools and give them a tour of a school and say see how great our school is and they'd take them to a hospital which um, from my understanding uh, is an international hospital or would be something that a, a hospital that's probably for the elite in Cuba because there is an elite and has always been an elite mm-hmm. since the revolution uh, don't let anybody fool you with any other stories. Um, uh, and and they would show them how great the hospital was. So the Americans would come back and say, hey, Cuba's great. They show them a farm, right. take them to a few nice restaurants, show them a Buena Vista social club type show, 
or they'd play Chan Chan and stuff and all these songs and everybody would walk away just in love with Cuba. The, the thing is that since I've been going, that was never the experience that I had because I know people and we, we know people. My friend Roland has taken two of his daughters. Uh, they were younger than Reki was now when I took her. And you're with, you're with, for lack of a better term, you're with family. And you're with, with very close friends in a, in a very specific circle. And you're not subject to that kind of indoctrination, right. for lack of a better word. And so, and, and also you're safe. So I've never been to a beach in Cuba. I still haven't been to Varadero. Yeah. Don't know what it looks like. Only in pictures and movies. I'm sure it's beautiful. I just haven't had the desire to go because I just don't, that's not what I'm interested in. Right. Uh, my, my experience has been uh, purely cultural, just like this one was. And do we eat at restaurants? Of course we do. Do we, do we, did, did we go to a cigar bar? This is the first time I, I go to a cigar bar in Cuba. And why? Because it was there. And I really like cigars, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was a very nice cigar bar, but that's a, I think that was one of the most profound experiences of the trip. And just to, to back up a second, I appreciated so much being there with you and with Roland and being able to be there with people that I felt incredibly confident, understood the weight of the revolution from the perspective of the exiled, uh, you know, of the exile Cuban community. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not a Cuban American. I'm not of Cuban heritage. And so I, for me, I felt like it was a purely educational thing, but I, it was weird being at that cigar bar. And we talked mm-hmm. about this a little bit, yep. but yep. I had just this sense of like, well, this isn't, this isn't what it's like. Like this is for tourists. This is, you, you actually had this fantastic analogy you would go back to, um, of it, it's like Disney world. And we saw I, I, very distasteful. I thought just, you could buy a Che hat any, anywhere, any of the yep. little tourist shops sold a little Che hat. And you could wear it, and you you refer to that as like the Mickey Mouse ears, and yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. There were a bunch of people walking around with these these red these hats with a red star on the front and a Cuban flag on the side, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yeah, it's in such yeah. poor taste. It seems like, yeah. But that's the that's the tchotchke. That's that's one of the things you can get there that sh- shows that you were there. And so we're at the the cigar bar, and it was nice, plush leather couches. You know, they had incredible drinks you know you could get the havana club the 15 year the really nice bottle mm-hmm. or you could get a you know a, a drink of it and it was fantastic but i had this sense of just what about the people you know that was the same day that we had been in santiago de las vegas where it, it wasn't like that in the slightest and you know we're walking around the streets and there was this overwhelming sense like smell literally smell of just sewage yeah and Everywhere. I, yeah. And I appreciated so much being able to see that perspective as well and being taken there because I could see a tourist going even just in Havana without wanting to try to go to the beach and being like, oh, yeah, I've been to Cuba. It was very it's very nice. Like everything's old and colonial. It's beautiful. You can get a mojito anywhere. And, and by the way, it is beautiful. And, and we did have, yeah. I think the, the first night we were there, we, we got mojitos and all of us, you know, we ordered around and all of us had a sip. And, you know, I think there were eight of us in the group. And I think everyone who had one took a sip and was like, 
oh my gosh, this is the best mojito I've ever had. And it was, but at the same time, um, that's, that's not what it was like. That's Mm -hmm. not what it was about. Um, Mm -hmm. it was, it was nice to be afforded that opportunity, but at the same time, I had this paradoxical sense of just like, I've met the people who, you know, we saw the woman in line at the place where you can change money and they have offices um, you can change money at the airport, and um, we had changed some money, but you can't spend American dollars except for in the very touristy places. So, like the cigar bar, you could pay in American dollars, and they would just do the conversion on the fly, or like at uh, the duty free shop in the airport. But um, we needed to change some money for the, you know, to pay our our taxi drivers or to pay, you know, the the transportation. And, and um, at the bed and breakfast we stayed at you know, to, to pay for, you know, a drink there. And so we went into the city, um, and we're in the ground floor of like a, a very tall building. It's kind of a, a little plaza walkthrough atrium kind of thing. We, we were in, we were, we were in the, what's known as uh, the Foxa building, which was built before the revolution. It was at the time a state of the art high rise. Yeah. And it had, uh, uh, restaurants and shops, and it was it was it was one of the premier buildings of Havana at the time, and now it's still there, uh, not looking at all like it right. did back then, obviously, and it's run down. And just to give some background to what you're saying, and I'll let you continue. There, there are two currencies in Cuba. There is the Cuban peso, which is the one that the people use, and then there's the CUC. We call it the Kook, and the the Kook is the convertible peso 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 listen to me uh the convertible peso and uh this one is for tourists uh coming to the island and it uh, believe it or not it is worth more than the damn dollar which is hilarious that was actually one of the things i found out after we got back uh when you change money they have an immediate when you change american dollars there's a 10 percent tax like just they take ten percent right off the top. So the the exchange rate I think for the kook, it was like um, one dollar equals like or no, it was like a dollar ten or a dollar five equals one kook. But they take like when you hand them a hundred dollar bill, they're giving you less than ninety back. Yep. And it was it was, you know, th- there it's was bizarre. a tax on top of the co- the conversion rate. So we're at this place changing money at the Foxa building, and there was a lady in front of us who was a local. She was a Cuban, and she was com- she was there to convert. Pesos, go ahead yeah, and the story. And so, well, we had to wait in line, and you know, it's a small little office. It's like an ATM vestibule would be the closest thing I could compare it to. Uh, but there's people staffed in there in a kind of, I don't know if he was an armed guard, but there's, uh, you know, a, a bigger guy who's kind of letting people in the door one or two at a time. And the line took us maybe 10 minutes to go through the line. But after the first couple people went in, uh, the gentleman came out and announced loudly in Spanish, this line is only for people converting to... CUCs like this is not a line for the Cuban people, you know, who need to convert their CUCs back into Cuban pesos. And um, a woman in line threw her hands up, exasperated, and just in Spanish said, "Ah, what a country!" Exactly. And and that was we had seen that, and then we get to go to the cigar bar, and we get to go to, you know, get the mojitos at the nice hotel, and it there I had a sense of just the paradox of that 
you know, Cuba is one thing to, to tourists or to people coming from the States or, or mm. other countries, but it's very much another thing for the people that live there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I know there's a lot of folks from other, other countries, like uh, I have Dominican friends and so, uh, folks from other, you know, South American countries as well who've said to me, but Marcos, it's, it's like that in a lot of countries. You know, the, the, the poor don't have access to the uh you know what the tourists have access to or the, or the or the wealthier folks of course that's kind of the way it is here in the united states as well you know it's you know some people can't can go to some restaurants others can't make it there you know yeah but i think i think what people uh miss and this is what i try to to talk to my friends about is the the cuban problem is not only an economic problem it's a social problem it's a it's a problem when you not only can't um, afford things because the average Cuban makes about twenty dollars a month, uh, you know, and, that, that, and that's on the high end. From what I've heard, it's eighteen, you know, on on average. Uh, maybe now <laughs> it's a little different, but the the it's it's that it's the oppression that they've lived under. I mean, you're talking fifty plus years. We're not talking right now. Well, yeah. you, the Cuba that you guys saw that we experienced a few weeks ago or last week is a Cuba that is different even from the Cuba that I experienced in 2014. 2014 was a different Cuba than I experienced in 2011 and so on and so forth. It's, it's changed a lot over the last 15 years, but for the Cuban people, it hasn't changed all that much. They still are not free to express a thought yeah. that isn't within the revolution. They, they are not free to, th there's freedom of, wor uh, there's certain freedom of worship now as we experienced when we went, mm -hmm. but that hasn't always been the case. And even to this day, um, it's still heavily monitored. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not this place of, of uh, you know, you can't look at it now and say, oh, this is nice. You got to look at it historically right. and put it to have the right context and perspective uh, and, and, and experience. And, and actually, I, I, would, I would encourage people to come to Miami and, uh, and you know, experience this here. And, and I've, one of the things I've noticed is like Little Havana is pretty cool because it's a great, you know, we love that part of, the, of our city here in Miami. And I do see a lot of tourists who I've met a lot of tourists who were, who went there before going to Cuba. Mm -hmm. So if you have that opportunity, you're coming to Miami first. Talk to some Cubans here, and see and see what they say. See how see what what, what perspective they give you. Yeah, and they'll probably yell at you for going to Cuba, <laughs> but uh, maybe you'll run across someone who's a little more reasonable, and maybe you can talk to them and yeah. hear some some stories. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking if there was anything else I wanted to mention. I I mean, we said it talking with Dan and Jeff, and I think it's worth repeating uh, over and over again. The people we met, everybody we met was just wonderful. Yeah. And that was a really just it warmed my heart uh, to sound, you know, yeah. you know, sugary or saccharine or something. But it. The first night, we're walking back from a hotel. You know, it's like a 15-block walk back to our bed and breakfast. And I'm wearing a Cubs hat, as I typically am. And a guy 
like I'm I'm the last one in our group of eight that's kind of walking single file down the the sidewalk, kind of just chatting in and among each other. And a guy gestures at my hat and he asks me if it's a Mets hat. And <laughs> I kind of slipped into like, what? No, I would never wear a Mets hat. This is a Cubs hat. And I I I thought he wanted he was offended by that or something because all I heard was problem and he started walking towards me <laughs> and I, I was like whoa but then then I quickly realized he was making it just an incredibly kind gesture he was saying look there's no problem between people only governments yeah and that was wonderful um and we we had that experience multiple times you know I, um just people making it clear that you're cool you know what yeah, yeah, exactly, and it was great. And but one of the experience, I was with you when that guy walked up to you, and I and I was I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. I, I don't I don't stop and engage with people. I should, but my <laughs> daughter was like a block ahead of me, and I didn't want to leave her alone. Um, she wasn't alone. She was with friends. Just to <laughs> clarify, it was at night, but you know we were we were in a group, but Mark and I were straggling behind, and and I kind of like spoke to. He was speaking to you in English. Yes. And when I spoke to him in Spanish, in Cuban Spanish, and I, I didn't say anything bad to him, he kind of backed off. He was taken aback by that. And, and, and I never know, I've had that happen a few times, I never know if it's like they think I'm with the state, or if they think I'm, uh, or they, they don't, they, it, it takes them aback because they don't know what to do with you. They're yeah. like, if, you if, you're, if, you're, if you speak Spanish, the first thing to think, okay, is this guy from here? Or is he from somewhere else? Where is he from? And, and, here, and I keep going back to this. They do not get a lot of Cuban exile folks going back. And I use that term just because it's old school, Cuban exile. But that's, it fits for what I'm saying because I, what I, when I say that, I mean, again, that first generation Cuban-American or that, that was born here, you know, probably between the 60s and the 80s. Yeah. You know, and, and they come across us and they don't know what to do because um, it's foreign to them. Yeah. You know, so, so I think he kind of pulled back because uh, when I spoke Spanish and he just kind of went scurried back to his group of yeah. friends. Uh, but I would have loved to have stopped and, and talked with them, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, ju- but, uh, and, and just kind of sit down and maybe, you know, share some, some stories with some, some folks there. You know, yeah. it would have been nice. Yeah. And that was one thing that I noticed that I had no trouble getting by with my English. Like a couple times, um, you know, I understand enough Spanish to uh, at least get the essence of what someone's saying. But um, everyone there, you know, or everyone I, I ran into seemed to be totally comfortable with someone who didn't speak Spanish and, yeah. you know, obviously out of place. And, you know, if you, if you don't know me personally, I, I'm a good head taller than most of the people that, I'm around most of the time, and so yeah, yeah. I tend to stick out. And so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was actually pretty funny at the airport, too, just seeing you towering over everybody else. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I think that there's I, – I, I agree with your sentiment because when I go there and I'm, I'm with the people just hanging out, I'm having a good time. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm just sharing the moment with them. And I, and I hear that a lot from a lot of people. They're just like, wow, the, the, the Cuban people are really just, you know, genuinely happy to see you. 
Yeah. And, and I think one of the reasons that is, is because they, this is new to them. You know, they, they never had visitors before. So they, every time they see somebody come in, it's like, it's like, Ooh, who's this guy? You know, what, yeah. where, are they, where are they from? And they, and they're very curious. They want to know who you are and what you're doing. I had a lady one time, uh, when we were in Pinar de Rio, uh, we were walking around the town in Vinales at night and from a porch, this lady says, um, uh, to us, are you looking for some place to stay? And I said, and I, I responded to her in Spanish and, and I said, um, I said, no, we're fine. We we already have a place to stay. Oh, are you, where are you from? And I said, I'm from, from Miami and this is 2011. And she said, oh, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I know. Isn't that crazy? I'm here though. And, uh, and I just kept walking because I was like, I, and again, you get that, again, being from here, you get that sense, oh, is she making a phone call? Right. Is she, you know, is she going to have somebody tail me? That yeah. was one of the things that I think that you say that the Cuban people by and large are, are just excited to... And it makes it sound simple, but, but you know, they're, they're kind and just interested in meeting people. Yeah. And I think that growing up here, you know, in America and knowing just the, the little bit about the, the intrigue and the, you know, conflict between the U S and Cuba. Um, I had this sense in the back of my mind of just like, you don't know who's a, you know, going to report back on you to the government because you had one of the things that I was looking for and I think where we stayed was was wonderful but you've told me about it's called a casa particular yeah and um these are bed and breakfasts. now they're actually even on Airbnb the place we yep. stayed at you found on Airbnb and it was awesome it was a wonderful place uh you know air-conditioned rooms a mini fridge in the room and everything it was it was incredible and incredibly reasonably priced but um, you said that there, uh, the Committee for the Defense of the Revolution has agents in neighborhoods. And I always think of it like RAs writ, writ large, like, you know, your resident advisor yep. in college. And, and their, their job is to report back to the Cuban government of what's going on, like what, you know, what's out of place. And we noticed um, when we were in Santiago de las Vegas, across the street, I think, um, I just remember everything in relation to pizza places. So it was right as we came up to one of those little pizzerias, um, or you know, we were walking past one a house and it had a big sign in front that just said, "This is the the office of the CDR." And um, that was one of the only times that I was like reminded of that reality. Yeah, because that wasn't something I think we interacted with much. You know, well, they, here's an interesting story. I didn't, I didn't share this with you yet, not even while we were there, because it didn't really bother me because I'm used to it, but. I, I did see this. So the Airbnb that we stayed at or the Casa Particular we were staying at, we had a balcony on the second floor. And at night we'd go out there and smoke cigars. By the way, for our, for our Miami listeners, f most of the time we were smoking cigars from Miami. Yeah, we right? brought cigars we with brought us. We brought cigars. I brought, I brought some Toraño Exodus 1959 cigars. Very fitting. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode. I'm hoping to uh, interview Charlie Toraño. Uh, we've already interviewed Jack, but I want to interview Charlie. And, and we uh, now have to make it happen because I, <laughs> I mentioned it, but we had this, um, we, there was a balcony, but the houses are really close together. The house next to us, I observed as we were walking past it over those days that it was, I think they taught English there. Okay. Um, it looked like there were locals that were living there. 
So the second night that we were there, or the last night we were there, which was that hot night, uh, they were sitting on the porch downstairs and they were being very quiet. And they were on their cell phones. And I was like, I wonder if these people are kind of watching out. And, and the thing about the CDR, it's called in Spanish, Comité de la Defensa de la Revolución, or Comité de Defensa de la Revolución. These are uh, what Castro did uh, sometime in the 1960s when he wanted to shut things down and lock it down because was, this was after the, they blew up this uh, ship in Havana Harbor that was, I believe it was a French freighter that was blown, blown to pieces. Um, he set up, he, he, he got really paranoid um, and he locked down all, he started locking down all the neighborhoods and the way he did this was basically on every street there was potentially one or two houses that were hubs for the Committee of the Defense of the Revolution. And these were the watchdogs of the neighborhood, and they could watch every street in Cuba. So imagine that every street in your neighborhood, there's a snitch. And, and, they're, and they're watching everybody who comes into your house, who leaves your house, what you're bringing to the house, what you're wearing, um, what, what, you know, what you're saying. Um, if there's any meetings that you're having, they immediately shut it down. And this is how it was in the 1960s. And they still exist. Albeit, uh, maybe you know they've changed a little bit because I've even I've seen uh, casa particulares that are actually defense of the revolution homes. Oh wow! In fact, two of our friends in one of our trips uh, stayed there. At, we had that we had too many people in this one house, so that we had we were actually instructed that we had to put these people in different houses by the CDR. And two of these guys had to go to this house that was a CDR house. And we walked in to check out and see everything was cool. And it was really, prostitution's big in Cuba. So the room had like mood lighting and oils and <laughs> candles. It was really weird. And I was like, okay, guys, have a fun night. Um, but it was in a CDR house, you know. So it, it's, things are, have changed a little bit. But um, it, it's, it's, it's a spooky place. And, and I was, I was a little spooked. I was too tired to really care. I just wanted to go to bed, <laughs> but I was like, that's really interesting. These people are just sitting there. They're not talking. They're just, yeah. and every time I looked, they were never talking. They were just sitting there on their phones. And we weren't being, you know, we're up on a second floor balcony, just an absolute wonderful, um, setting. And, and, you know, had a nice outdoor balcony, the living room kind of opened up with double doors out to it. And we would sit out there. I mean, we spent most of our time at that house on that balcony. Yeah. And we weren't quiet. I'm, I'm sure that they could hear what we were talking about. And thankfully, we didn't have anything to hide about what we were saying, I don't think. Um, I will say the funniest thing that happened um, <laughs> um, at dinner one night. There were five of us at dinner. And, you know, we, we've been walking together. And, you know, we had been together for a good 36 hours at this point, just kind of enjoying each other's company we're all you know simpatico we're all you know yeah get along really well that was a great group yeah and so we're, we're at this just the best restaurant we went to while we were there what happened to be like half a block away from where we were staying it's just a uh, what's the a paladar pala the paladar yeah that's a like a neighborhood restaurant yeah and uh, they had the most incredible 
uh, pina colada. I'm not a pina colada. Oh, yeah. Guy. Oh, my yeah. gosh. They brought it. It was like a coconut like milkshake. Yeah. yeah. But we're sitting at, at dinner and just we start talking about movies and all oh. the different movies we're enjoying. And, you know, we're all kind of um, appreciators of film. We start talking about um, the Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, right. which is set during the communist scare in the U.S. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one of the guys in our group, you know, we're just enjoying ourselves. All of us have our guard down, whatever guard we had. And um, <laughs> a few of us had seen the movie and a few of us hadn't. And someone's explaining the movie and he's like, oh, so uh, the biggest movie star in Hollywood is kidnapped by the communists. And the communists... And he just stops and we looks all look around over our shoulders. <laughs> very silly pause, and we all just start laughing. <laughs> and I think even then, none of us felt like, "Oh no, we've transgressed some line." Like yeah. we, we realized the humor in the situation. But they said "comunista, comunista." <laughs> right. We're thinking somebody's gonna. <laughs> next thing you know, some secret service guy's gonna come up. Right. And, yeah. That was so funny. That was a that was a classic moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if, and and again about the food, one of the things that's interesting about the the that we talk we've been talking about like we ate at restaurants because we had to otherwise where were you going right. to eat, right? Right. So you go to restaurants and but I think for I think every restaurant we went to was in essence a paladar. Uh, one yeah. of these and and these that doesn't make it any better or anything like that. It just means that for most of the restaurants we ate we were able to eat at um, some Cubans could actually go to, meaning they could, they could all go to these restaurants, but they could actually afford them. Yeah. You know, even to get a drink, have a beer, maybe, maybe, sh maybe, you know, share some appetizers or something. I mean, uh, we went to the last restaurant we went to was across from the, uh, the Capitol building in, in right there in Havana, that beautiful building that you see that it looks exactly like the Capitol building in the U S and um, except a few inches taller, yeah, it's a the Cubans. Bit taller. Cubans like to boast that it's uh, like six inches taller than the the the, the, the DC capital. And but you got a plate for. Uh, I I think there were plates that were like three kooks. Yeah. Which is still a lot for the average Cuban, but if they're in Havana and they can put some money together because they're they, most of them work in tourism, they can actually go there and enjoy a birthday or, or something like we, we did see that we saw a lot of people coming there for special, like a, it was a special occasion. Right. They were dressed up. They had, and they were able to go there and they, they serve like the, f the plates are ridiculously huge. <laughs> so what we did, we had, we had about, we had four Cuban nationals with us that night and we basically ate a little bit and gave the rest to them. And they took home these big styrofoam plates full of food and they could, they can enjoy that throughout the rest of the week. And, and I, just to go to, to on that point, there's a one of the couples that was there, they're friends of mine. Um, they, they were, they've told me, they've told me, Marcos, we don't eat. We have for, we have, we have our breakfast, which is usually some coffee and maybe a piece of bread. And then the, you know, then we, we, we might have lunch or we might have, have, we might, we'll eat lunch and then maybe have a snack at night. Or something like that but I've talked to Cubans known to me who've said that back in in you know going back not even that long ago 15 20 years and maybe even today in a lot of parts of Cuba the children are, are sent to bed and they're sent to bed with like water and sugar you know in a glass Wow! because that's and that's like a treat for them and and 
it, it, you talk to them and they say to you, and for us, it wasn't, it was just normal. It was how it was. And it, and when we got that, it was like, oh, cool. We get a treat tonight. It's like us going out to get ice cream. Yeah. They were able to eat, you know, have a glass with some sugar, water and sugar in it. So that, that kind of, when you put that into, it, when you see it in that context, there's no getting away from feeling like a douchebag when you're there, yes. you know, because you're like, oh my gosh. But at the same time, you have to kind of weigh the experience and the impact that you can make on the lives of a few while you're there by taking goods to them. Uh, you know, people, we, we didn't talk about this with Jeff and Dan that much, but, um, you know, we did joke about taking toilet paper. Yeah. And we were saying it in the sense of like for us to be able to use because toilet paper is scarce there. Uh, but I've gone on previous trips with like a couple packages of toilet paper and just given them to people and they're like, Oh, thank you. Cause they use towels Yeah. and, um, or what, or the newspaper, a lot the, the running joke in Cuba <laughs> is that Cuba has become a very literate nation because they wipe their butts with the grandma newspaper. The newspaper's called grandma, the grandma. Yeah. Wow. Grandma. And they, um, that's, that's the, that's the name of the boat, the, the, the boat yacht that, f- that Fidel came to Cuba. On. Exactly. So they named the newspaper Gramma and, um, and basically this is the, they, they say they've learned to read by wiping their asses with this, uh, <laughs> with this paper. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, it, so Castro not only has turned that boat into a museum, it's there in Havana, not yeah. far from the presidential palace, which is now the, the museum of the revolution. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a, there's monuments everywhere. That's worth saying. Um, I, I was amazed at how many just obelisks and statues. I mean, two blocks or three blocks from our hotel was the Avenue of the Presidents. Um, and it seemed like every block or so there was a, a small monument to so, someone. Yeah. And they were never to Fidel. Mm-hmm. Um, we did see a lot of Che. But you'd see pictures of Fidel. Um, I took a couple photos with my phone just like in that um, the room where we changed money in the, the Foxa building, there was... The what building? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the Foxa building, Foxa. yes. Foxa. <laughs> you got to be careful how you say it. Yeah. But just taped to the wall was like a cutout from a newspaper, it looked like. Just a picture of Fidel. Yeah. Just taped to the wall. And um, um, I forgot. Oh, sorry. Well, you were talking about the monuments and stuff everywhere. Oh, it's everywhere. And so you mentioned that the newspaper is called Grandma. There's a province now named Grandma. And, you know, it's it's the boat that brought him to Cuba. And it's just, it's it's backhanded, I think, a lot of the way that um, power has been venerated. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and again, like within the revolution, everything, that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, I think Victor, our own Victor Labrada mentioned in, in a previous podcast how the province where his dad grew up in, in, in that town, uh, Niquero, is in the grandma province now. In the, and and, and yeah. to, to, I mean, you, you see the way, when, that was one of the things that saddened me, saddens me when I go is they say, one of the places we went to in Santiago de Las Vegas was I wanted to see where my mom and dad lived when my sister was born. And I, they, they changed the streets, um, the different numbers, different names, you know, they've done this all over Cuba. So what, it's almost as if there, there was a systematic, 
and I think the way we see it here, and I think it's it was on purpose, and I think we're right, is that he he did everything to change what Cuba was. Yeah. At one time, and um, he couldn't tear down the buildings, but he definitely let things decay. Yeah. And fall into ruin. And and uh, and then you 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 see provinces being changed and names being changed and, and these committees and government committees and systems that that are set up to prop up the revolution. Yeah. And to turn Cuba into something that it never was. Yeah, it's like when you walk when we walked through Havana, I had the sense that everything. It, it's almost the way we count time as a as a world in BC and AD, you know, as, as much as, um, scientists and, you know, people want to get away from that and call it the common era and, and b- before common era, mm-hmm. the, the, the year zero is still yes. marked by the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And it, you almost have a, a perversion of that in Cuba yeah. where everything, it's like time started in a sense, or, or I have the sense that there's a lot about the Spanish colonial time and then a lot about the revolution and how, you know, things are just renamed and, and it's like they retconned a new history. And yeah. It's, it's What's funny about that is that in Miami, um, this goes back to the nineties. Someone came up with the slogan, Cuba, BC before Castro. <laughs> yeah. Before Castro. And that's how we refer to, you know, uh, it, uh, well, I don't think, it, I don't think it had any, it had any staying power, but for a while we were referring to Cuba. Oh yeah. But Cuba, BC. Yeah, know? yeah, and uh, so it's instead of before Christ, you know, yeah, before yeah. Castro, but the monuments. I mean, I you you're talking about the Avenue of the Presidents, and at the end of it, I, I didn't see it till we were leaving to the to come back. There's this massive the monument, huge and it's one. beautiful, and you know that was put up before the revolution. I mean, it was just, yeah. like, it was just so ornate, and the statues. One of the statues on the Avenue of the Presidents was a statue of Salvador Allende, who was the communist leader of Chile who like Castro and, and him had like, you know, I don't know what kind of relationship they had, but it was, it was weird because they were together a lot. Right. Um, and I think Castro had seen Chile as the, the, the extension of, of, of the revolution yeah. at some time. And we all know that Pinochet, there was a, a, a golpe de estado. What do you call it? A, 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 a coup, a coup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Pinochet government was set up the dictatorship and all that. But, you know, Salvador Allende, I saw him all over Chi- all over Cuba. It was funny. I saw him in pictures. I saw him in, and I saw that statue. I'm like, good God. <laughs> I mean, he's everywhere. And also, can't forget the, which you didn't see, but in, in Miramar, no, in Marianao, uh, there's a statue to uh, Yasser Arafat, of all people. <laughs> the like Israeli prime minister? The uh, Palestinian. Palestinian. Uh, got, uh, yeah, who, who at the time... Uh, was the head of a pretty pretty much a terrorist right yeah the the state the plo right yeah, yeah. and um so you you have all these i mean if if cubans from here cuban exiles went back and saw that my dad has always said and he repeated it last night when we got together here for a family get together he said if i go to cuba it'll i'll i'll, I'll it'll kill me because, he said that to me yesterday yeah, yeah he said and and i and i agree with him hundred percent because to see the place yeah. that that was so beautiful turned into what it has become uh, is what would would be heartbreaking for him but I think it's is um, encouraging to see 
Cuban Americans being able to go. Um, our friend Carlos Ruiz, I know you've been with him, but he took his children, his grown children, and Later, took them. Yeah. yeah, this was within the last two years or so, maybe, and he took them to see the home I believe that he grew up in, or, or where he, you know, mm-hmm. the the home that his parents lived in when he was born. And I just I think that there's a visceral need for that sort of thing as well because i think in a small way that wrests power from the revolution and from the lie that is currently being perpetuated yeah and i think you know going back to the idea of finding virtue in cuba i think my takeaway on that uh you know while i was there i i it was the same idea that i had going in i think that I think I think the Cuban people are still the Cuban people. Um, I think it's still, um, it's there's still hope to be found there. Yeah. Um, and and no matter what they've gone through, it's definitely different. It's my dad will say uh, the the Cuba that is now is not the Cuba that once was, and I agree with him a hundred percent. I don't think anybody would disagree with him. Yeah. And but at the same time, I. I, I'm glad we got to go to that church and spend our, that time with our friends there who yeah. are from that church and experience that with them because I think the virtue that is found in Cuba is in the communities, is in the family. Uh, that, that, that th- those, those things, as much as, as the revolution tried to tear, tear that asunder, um, it, he, he wasn't able to yeah. to succeed. Um, I think the family is a family, and I think the 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 church is the church, and and it, it's it, it. I think there is where you find the virtue uh, among the people um, outside of the rhetoric, outside of the propaganda, and there's it, it's 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 a beautiful thing, and yeah. I see hope. I see a lot of hope in that. Yeah, I think I think we we remarked on this over and over again during the trip. Just like hope is there, yeah, you, you see it. It's mm-hmm. it's cool to see. Yeah, so I I would I would urge again, and and I, I I do this. I tell my friends this all the time, and I say, look, I said, instead of pressing that button on your tape cassette player that in your head that's that says, well, I don't want to support the Cuban government or. I'm not going to go back until the Castros are gone or, or whatever uh, segment of that tape you play to, to look at it from a cultural perspective and just say, and just look at it as, as part of your heritage and don't go now because it's going to look different after the Starbucks gets put up or, <laughs> and uh, don't, and don't go later because you're, you're waiting for something to, to happen, whatever it is you think you want to see happen, just go. Yeah. Just, you know, when you feel the time is right, think about it, meditate on it. There's a lot to, lot to take in, but you know, I, I think it's important for us to go and, and really see something that we've only heard of. And you're going to, you're not going to run into politicians. You're not going to run into revolutionaries. You're going to run into people. You're going to run into Cubans. That's who you're going to see. Yeah. And when you do, it, it, it's going to change your heart. <laughs>